Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Really? That's it? And good morning to all those who are joining us online. I know I saw Fred is joining from Frankfurt, so hello, Fred, and Christy and Aaron and other people. I don't know if you know this, but if you're traveling or if you're sick, you're not feeling good, you can always join us online. And we actually have people all over the country that, that join in and are part of this congregation that maybe you've never even met. So everybody wave and say hello to our, our guest online. Well, it's such a joy to be with you as always. I, I'm just overwhelmed by how wonderful it is to be your pastor. And I don't know if you heard it, but that first song had a wonderful line in it, and I wanted to repeat it. It's that we are made to thrive, right? We are made to thrive, not just survive, not just endure the things that come our way, but literally to thrive. And I think one of the things that prevents us from thriving in this world is our fear. And that's why this sermon series is so important as we talk about what it means to live unafraid. Again, it doesn't mean you won't face fear. Everybody take your hand and, and put it on the back of your neck. That's where your fear lives, right? Is right there. That's, that's where your amygdala is. You can put your hands down now. <laughs> what, what we're trying to do, you're going to go there. When you have a, a situation in your life or your faith is something that you're afraid of, you're going to go to that place of fear. But, but what we're trying to do is to make sure we don't live in that place of fear. That's a temporary location, and if we need to respond out of fear, we do it, but then we learn to not let our fears control us or paralyze us or rule our lives. Today, we're talking about the fear of change, and I got Michelle's permission before we talked about this, but this is a very real thing in our life. I married, this is the most amazing, we met about, what, 12 years ago, Michelle? And, but Michelle is the person who would love to put her roots down and live in one place her whole life. And yet, at the time when she married me, I was trying to be a chaplain in the army, which of course means you move around a lot, and a United Methodist pastor, which means you move around a lot. And if you ask her why she married me, she says that I was very charming. Her words, right? Not mine. But I don't think she realized. You can know in your mind that a lot of change is coming, but that doesn't mean you have experienced what that is like. We've been married 11 years, and we've lived in four different towns, four different churches and ministries that we have been a part of, and that's a lot of change, and that's a lot of move, and every single time, there's a ton of fear. I think of when we went from St. Philip's, which is kind of her home church where we met, you know, that, a ministry that nurtured me and that I loved, and then all of a sudden, I get the call that I'm going to Colleen of all places, Right? That, that, was, that was terrifying, and, and we weren't sure how that was going to go, and so we moved to Colleen, and, and then after only two short years there, we got another phone call. This time, we're moving to Stephenville, Texas, and, and now Michelle is a city girl. Stephenville is the cowboy capital of the world. In fact, uh, we didn't own boots. I'm wearing my boots today, pulling out my Stephenville. We didn't own boots. The, the church in Colleen had to buy us boots so that we could fit in into this, uh, this, this country community that we were moving to. In fact, I think the biggest concern is that the closest target was an hour and a half away. But there was a lot of fear. Like, how is that going to go? We're moving to a new town, and we're going to be dealing with college students all the time, and are we going to have any friends? Are we going to be able to grow in our faith? Or are we going to be able to lead these young people and help them grow? 
And, and that went pretty well. And then after four years there, we were on mission trip in the Bahamas. So we're loving life, beautiful location. We're serving God. I'm on a roof, and all of a sudden, I get a call. And you know, of course, you just, your, your gut drops, right? Because it was not something I was expecting. In fact, if I knew what they were, known what they were going to call about, I would have hit ignore. <laughs> so I can handle that later when I get back. But... Once again, we are faced with a, an incredible change. In each one of those changes, God has shown up. And we could have been paralyzed by our fear, but because we knew that if we trusted God, that God would do something wonderful, each situation has been amazing in its own right. You know, a lot of times when we face this fear of change, it just paralyzes us. Some of us are waiting when we have to make a decision for that perfect moment until all the stars are aligned and we know for sure that we're supposed to make that change. Some of us struggle with making changes because we're pretty comfortable with the way we are. Some of us fear the future because our world is changing so fast. Technology is constantly changing. I'm amazed by some of our men and women who have worked in the computer industry, especially computer programming, you know, and they've gone from like punch cards to what we have today. It's just amazing. So any of, any of those in the congregation, I much respect because can you imagine how it is to change from that to where we are today. But we, we are afraid of change because we, we feel like maybe we'll become obsolete. And then there are the changes that no one wants to hear about in your life. A loved one passes away. You get sick. You lose your job. And it's just this crushing experience. But here's the truth for us today. The thing that I really want to zero in Here's the truth. If we want to thrive, if we want to overcome our fear of change, whether that's good change or bad change, it doesn't matter. There's grief involved no matter what. If we want to thrive, we've got to turn to God. And we've got to turn to community. And we've got to focus on what is good and wonderful and holy in our life. Our scripture today comes from Philippians chapter 4. I, I, my first sermon was in Philippians to you guys, my first sermon series. I love the book of Philippians. This is Paul writing from prison to the people in the church at Philippi, a church that he loves. Now, I'm going to actually read a few more verses. Sorry, media team, I didn't tell you. It's not their fault. It's my fault. I'm going to start with verse 4. This is what it says. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and your petitions, along with giving thanks. Then, then, the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things, all that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things, whatever you learn, receive, heard, or saw in us, and then the God of peace will be with you. Now, it's easy to hear these words when Paul's saying, be glad in the Lord always. Some version of this has rejoice, right? Rejoice, be joyful in the Lord always. It's really easy to look at Paul and say, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the troubles that I've endured. You don't know what I'm experiencing this morning. How dare you, Paul, 
tell me to rejoice. And yet if we remember, like I said, Paul, every time he went to a new town, just about, was beaten and thrown in jail for what he believed. At this point in Paul's life, he was most likely in prison knowing that he was about to get executed. Paul knows what it means to suffer, and he suffered for the Lord. And yet, he still tells us to rejoice. I think sometimes we individualize this particular passage that somehow in the midst of our suffering, we're supposed to manufacture some level of joy or happiness all on our own out of some personal piety. But if you think about the context and the society that Paul lived in, that's not exactly what he's saying. They loved to celebrate. It was all about the festival, right? Didn't matter. They would come up with reasons to throw parties and celebrate and have festival. They were much more communal in their life than we are today. So when, they, when, when Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord, what he is telling the community to rejoice, to do it together. Because sometimes there's going to be days where I'm not going to be full of joy. There's going to be days where I'm pretty upset by what's going on in my life. There's going to be days when you guys, well, the, the most you can do is to show up. Or maybe the most you can do is to turn on the Facebook live stream and just show up. And that's okay. But that's why we have to do this in community, right? We have to celebrate together about all the good things. And we got to celebrate that God is with us in the moments of our greatest trials. This does not mean we will never suffer. You know, some, some preachers, some teachers will teach you if you follow Christ, your life will be perfect, and that's just a lie. It's just a lie. We all know that. We all know those valleys are coming. We all know there are dark days ahead. I've experienced them. Paul experienced them. You've experienced them. But yet somehow, if we are in community, we can rejoice in the Lord always. So I think there's three things this morning that Paul points out that kind of helps us to deal with that anxiety and fear of change. One is that we need to have a close relationship with God. I could probably preach every single week how important it is that we have a close relationship with God. The second is we need to be in community. And the third is that we need to focus our minds on what is good. We need to have a close relationship with God. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests, not some, not the ones you want to talk about, all your requests to God in your prayers and petition, along with giving thanks. Now, it's really easy to think God doesn't have time for my problem. That's simply not true. God is infinite. God is bigger than our universe. And sometimes we kind of make fun of those folks who pray about getting the right parking spot. But in a sense, maybe they're right. Maybe we should be praying about everything. Because the closer that we have a relationship with somebody, the more likely, the more likely is that we're going to turn to them when we're struggling. Think about it as a good friend. We all want those friendships that we can call and talk to no matter what's going on. I have my good buddy Travis. He probably rolls his eyes at me, but anytime I want to talk cowboys, I call my buddy Travis. It's not that important. What's important is the relationship. And the same thing is true with God. You need to go to God with all your requests, all the things that are going on in your life, not just the big things, all of them. Present all your requests to God and petitions along with giving thanks. 
along with giving thanks. And I think actually maybe the thanks should come first, right? Maybe we should give thanks to God for the good things in our life. Give thanks to God that God is with us in the midst of tragedy. Give thanks to God that God has loved us and redeemed us and called us sons and daughters of God. And then, and then, the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. And then, once we've taken all our petitions, once we've gone to God in prayer and had a real relationship with God and given thanks, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. How do we rejoice in difficult times? How do we rejoice in the midst of anxiety and change? Because we have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's the peace of God that we can't explain it, and yet in that moment where, where you're just so afraid of what is coming, just like Joy was talking about, that moment, I always talk about how we, when we anticipate and we worry and we chew on what is coming and we have anxiety about it, we're experiencing that moment twice, right? You're experiencing the moment that you're worrying and, 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 and fearful of it, and then you're experiencing it when it actually happened. And it's usually much worse in our imagination than it is in reality. But if we have a deep and abiding relationship with our Lord and Savior, then we'll have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And you know it when you've experienced it. So first thing, we need to have that deep and close relationship with God. And the second is we need to be in community with each other. Now there's been a lot of things with some different people in our church family over the past few weeks that I've been a part of, and I just had this feeling as I've watched you guys, you know, to be honest, I get paid to help (laughs) y'all. Not that I wouldn't anyways. I want to be here, and I want to be here with y'all, but I'm in awe when I watch you guys respond. I'm in awe when I see someone hurting and without anyone asking, the people in their life group or their community or people at church start coming around that person. I'm in awe when people respond and see pain and suffering and I see you guys step up. That's what it means to be in family. That's what it means to be in community. And so when we're going through these changes, when we know a change is coming, we need to come to our community but we've got to be honest with each other. Don't keep it Behind a mask, we've got to be real. We've got to share with each other what's going on in our lives and, and stop worrying about people judging me so that we can experience a love and community so that we can rejoice in the Lord always. The third thing is we have to keep a positive mindset. This is what it says. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. The truth is, psychologists tell us that a lot of times when we start having negative thoughts, we get in this kind of feedback loop where just negative thoughts compounds on negative thoughts. That's why some scripture is so brilliant here. To focus on these things, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is true, and what is holy and just and pure and lovely. 
when we are in this midst of of fear about the future, of anxiety towards change, we need to focus on what's good in our life. We need to focus on what God has done. We need to focus that we have friends and family who love us and won't abandon us, and that we have a church family that is surrounding us. If you're dealing with anxiety about change in your life, focus on your relationship with God. Focus on community and think the positive and warm thoughts about what is good in your life. I think there's two kinds of change, really, when you ultimately boil it down. There's good change, but even in good change, we still face grief. You graduate high school, you're sad for the friends that you lose. Uh, You get married, you know, your, your family member gets married, you're sad because your relationships are changing. You get a new job and move to a new city. Yeah, it might be better pay and a better opportunity, but you're sad because of the relationships you live behind. So even in those moments, we still need God, we still need community, and we still need to be able to think on what is good. But then there's a lot of things in life that we can't help. Difficult moments. We lose a job. Someone in our family gets sick and passes away. Maybe we deal with a debilitating illness, a chronic illness, and it's going to be part of our life. Relationships end, we... They become broken, whether that's in families or in marriages, and divorce happens. And you grieve, and you're sad, and you're broken because you you wonder, how did this happen to me? How did I end up here when I was so happy? And especially in these moments is when we need God, and we need our community of faith, and we need to think and focus our mind on what is good and pure and lovely. That doesn't mean just ignore our problems. It doesn't mean just shove them to the side. But even in the worst moments of life, there's something good that you can think about. It's our responsibility as we talk about community that we help other people. You know, the, the finish to the story about all the anxiety of change that we've had, when we moved to Colleen, that was some of the most wonderful people. We had great community there. Some other young adults with, uh, in fact, a couple of them are over here. <laughs> that we met and grew in our faith together, and it was wonderful, something we never expected to happen. And I love my ministry there. And then when I got the phone call to go to Stephenville, it was such a joy and excitement to be a part of college students' lives and help them grow in their faith, and and they were literally our kids. That's how we felt. And we built community, and it was wonderful. And then when we got the phone call to come to this church, you know, we were feeling pretty anxious. It was a ministry we loved, and God was calling us to a new season in our life. But you know what the moment that made the biggest difference is when we started opening letters from people in this church. I think we cried several times, not just to us, but to our our kids. When we do this in community, when the church is who it should be, it really helps us in these difficult moments. So we need to introduce people to God. Paul came up and, and talked about how we want 100 new disciples of Jesus Christ this year. That's not just a number. Imagine the impact we could have of 100 people dealing with anxiety and change in their life could turn to God that currently can't do that. We also have to be the kind of community that people want to be a part of, which y'all are and y'all do such a good job, but I always have to put that in front of you and I always have to keep encouraging you Every person you see here, every person you meet, we need to welcome and love them, invite them to our communities and our life groups so that they can be a part of life-changing community. 
And then as a community, we still have to think on what is good and holy and pure and just and admirable and excellent. Because we know that the people out there need not just hear all the negative things and all the negative stories they hear, but they need hope and good news. You know, when Jesus came in this world, there were essentially two groups of people. Both sides were religious. Both sides had a deep passion for God. But one side, when faced with the great changes that Jesus was going to bring, rejected him because they couldn't handle the change. The other side, the smaller side, just a few people who stayed with Jesus, learned from Jesus, were taught by Jesus, inspired by Jesus, because they had that close relationship with him, were able to change the world as we know it. That's our opportunity here. We can change the world if we focus on Christ. In the midst of our anxiety about change, and we focus on God and the relationship that we have in our community and thinking about what is good in our life. So as you go from this place, be the kind of person who turns to God, who turns to your neighbor, and thinks on what is good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.